Welcome to the Make the Future podcast. I'm your host, Jacques Beauvais, Dean of the Faculty of Engineering at the University of Ottawa. Join me as I connect with our alumni, students, industry partners, and researchers to explore the future of technology and innovation and how, through creativity and collaboration, we can make our own future. They say the future is coming, but that's not true. The future is already here. And it's relentless. It's not going to wait for you to catch up. How will we live in this future? How will we make sense of it? To define our course, we need a new perspective. One that engages our curiosity, that activates our imagination, one that defies the conventional. To own the future, we need to do more than just see it. We need to make it. Welcome to today's podcast, where I'll be chatting with Heather Abbott, a class of 93 alumna who is now the Senior Vice President, Corporate Solutions Technology at NASDAQ in Boston. Welcome, Heather. Thank you. I'm also joined by Media Sheikh Hassan, a two-time U Ottawa young alumna and rising star that is making an impact globally and who is now the manager of our Maker Launch program. Welcome, Media. Thank you. We will be discussing mentorship, women in STEM and entrepreneurship, and the different ways Heather and Media make the future. We also hope to offer you a glimpse into the role that the U Ottawa community is playing in the thriving tech and innovation sector. I'm also very pleased to have this opportunity to talk with Heather Abbott today as she's also the recipient of our Faculty of Engineering 2018 <coughs> Alumni Award of Excellence. And perhaps we can start a discussion with you, Heather, and could you tell us a little bit more of what your role is at NASDAQ? Sure, so I have a combination of external applications that we sell to clients, and I'll talk about those first. So uh, I have a suite of applications that we created to help companies more successfully enter public markets. So they're in the areas of investor relations, which is a lot of data and analytics and understanding who owns your stock and who you would like to have own it. And as well as customer relationship management, since investor relations officers spend a lot of time on the road with their current investors and prospective investors. And the other main pillar of that suite is a secure collaboration tools that are built uh, fit for purpose for boards of directors and, and the extended leadership teams. So you can think of those as highly secure collaboration tools that have some common capabilities to things like Box or Dropbox or even G Suite or, or Office 365, but they're very tailored uh, towards those board and leadership teams and the ways that they collaborate and the work that corporate secretaries do to facilitate that. Uh, I also have the marketing web applications, which are mobile and web applications, as you would expect to, uh, to in just increase and amplify our, our, our marketing capabilities across all of NASDAQ's um, varied products. And I also have the, um, uh, our vendor management for technology, which is a, kind of an interesting function at NASDAQ because it is, uh, it's also forming strong partnerships and understanding new technology because, of course, we want all great new companies to list on, on NASDAQ. And so, so that is a really fun part of, of my job. And then I also work with the uh, DevOps and, and trying to 
continue to evolve our DevOps capabilities and continuous integration, continuous deployment, product and release planning across all of NASDAQ um, and all, across all of, of technology. I find that I'm going to have to back up a step and mm -hmm. ask a very naive question. What does NASDAQ do? So NASDAQ is an integrated financial technology company, and like so many companies, pushing ourselves to be a technology first and a product technology company above all else. But we, we're known, uh, we're fortunate to have, I'd say, a brand that's so well recognized, especially in North America, based on the um, U.S. market, which was kind of born out of being the first fully electronic market uh, in the seven, late 70s and 80s. And, uh, and, and so it was the listing venue, and originally it was the listing venue for, um, you know, companies like Google and Apple and you and uh, Amazon, and we're all fortunate, and Microsoft to have all of those great technology and highly capitalized brands on our market. But originally, it was more you would list on NASDAQ, and then you would graduate and go to our competitors. And that is really not the case anymore, uh, and it's kind of evidenced by those huge uh, global brands that are, are listed on NASDAQ. So out of that, we evolved uh, really, I'd say, in the early 2000s with our previous CEO, Bob Greifeld, and now Adina Friedman, to uh, to add a lot of additional businesses and, and just diversify like most good large companies try to do. But we also see there's a lot of evolution in markets and uh, there's uh, trends towards companies staying private longer. There is uh, um, legislation that was in introduced in the U.S. at about 2010 mm -hmm. to uh, you know to, to allow companies to have up to 2,000 um, owners. So, uh, and that's that's aside from their employees. So you see these companies like Uber that stay private a lot longer than they otherwise would have. So we we started to diversify into liquidity in, in private markets, and and so that's another part of the business. And then uh, as another trend, which started a while ago, but is really accelerating now just around data and the use of data. So we have a number of data products, and that's a whole division as well, as well as selling our market data. And I won't talk about the political aspects of that today, but there's a lot of discussion right now in the U.S. about what people, you know, who really owns the market data and what course, people yeah. should be paying for it. Okay. So those are a few part of the businesses. And then, of course, I have the uh, the listings business and or and the technology that goes with that and now another very major strategic focus for us is market technology so a lot of people wouldn't know we sell technology to about a hundred markets worldwide and they power their exchanges with oh, really? uh, yeah with our technology and our clearing and settlement products and that's an area we're putting a lot of strategic focus on moving it to the cloud and making it much more flexible for our customers to use it. But then we really see opportunities to facilitate new markets uh, in markets that are very price sensitive and might benefit from uh, more robust order types and, and matching. So you can think of things like airline seats as you mm -hmm. get closer to the time of flying. Mm -hmm. Maybe we could create markets for things like that that okay. make it better for both buyers and sellers or um, things like ticketing and StubHub and Ticketmaster. So we're looking at um, you know, where would our unique low latency, high volume, complex order matching technology and the services that surround it um, perhaps be valuable to unleash um, new markets beyond financial markets um, worldwide. Okay. So how do you go from chemical engineering into that kind of a job? So for, for me, it was a, an evolution, like most things that are somewhat major decisions. There wasn't one point in time, but when I first started working, there was 
the price of oil was uh, pretty low. And so I was at Imperial Oil's great company and great experience and a lot of opportunities. But the uh, because the price of oil was low, there weren't many major projects. So I decided to go to Texas and work in an engineering consulting firm so that I could at least see if I really liked chemical engineering because I felt that, you know, changing safety valves on butane spheres was not, you know, my life's calling. So so I uh, went to <laughs> Texas and uh, and that was a great experience too. It was funny. I felt like, wow, I'm never going to stop working for Exxon because as soon as I went to Texas, all the projects that Kellogg, Brown and Root, which became part of Halliburton, were like all still working for Exxon. But uh, at the, uh, I found everything was really well defined. And I think this is, um, you know, they'd say, okay, you have to do this hydraulic calculation, you know, flip to page 100 and just do that. And, and I felt like it, it just didn't kind of appeal to my creative side. Mm -hmm. And so I felt somewhat a little bit stifled. Now, of course, there's many different careers you can pursue in any dimension of engineering. Um, but for me, I got to a point where I wanted to try something that would force me to learn faster and, and tap more creative um, capabilities and energy. So I'd been doing an MBA full-time and a uh, part-time and I finished it full-time. Um, I took a leave of absence in, from Texas and finished the MBA full-time over an eight-month academic period. And then uh, worked in, in power, which kind of brought together both, uh, both chemical engineering because we were looking at, we were deregulating the power industry in Canada. So I was at TransAlta looking at how do we modernize plants? How do we make those decisions? So you'd, I'd spend a few days in the plant talking to the people and looking at the technology. And then I go back and crunch the numbers and, and using different d decision analysis and probability techniques to make recommendations to the board. Um, and so that, that was a great combination but at the time, I started to meet a lot of people from Nortel Networks and their connection with Bay Networks in the U.S. And and uh, they said, well, you know, my boss, I had a really great mentor and mentors are so important. And he said, uh, well, if I didn't have, you know, 2.2 kids and a golden retriever, I would just go to Silicon Valley. And, really? I, and okay. so that I think that was maybe one turning point where uh -huh. I decided to, to go and, and give it a try. And I was fortunate that eBay would take a chance on on my background at the time. Okay, but and you, Midya, you went from health sciences into chemical engineering. <laughs> what yes. drew you to do that? Um, I do love health and solving problems and building an impact. So once I was done with my undergrad health sciences, I think it took me six months to find out that epidemiology and epigenetic research was not for me. I loved it. I learned a lot from it. But, but you didn't just... go to Texas to find that out. No, no, no. <laughs> I was just at the hospital, so, you know, a few blocks away. <laughs> um, and I come from family of engineers, so I kind of knew how they can apply what they learned in different fields. And I decided to go into chemical because I loved chemistry, that one reason. And the second thing, I, l I just was fascinated with industry and manufacturing. And I, since I was a kid and I kept this habit till now, I love to ask questions. And every time I would pass by, I grew up in Dubai and there was lots of oil fields and I would see them, you know, everything is operating. And my question was all the time, how is this thing running? Who designed it? Uh, so I was always fascinated with industry and I wanted to go into chemical engineering. But um, although me and Heather graduated 15 years apart, but there's a good chance we did the exact same thing in school. Uh, but there's a little bit of difference and advantage that I have in my side, which is... Um, all the programs that we had in the faculty now that support entrepreneurship and, and building different soft skill and leadership skills too. So I took advantage of these initiative and project and everything else that would has, ha, you know, is happening in the faculty now. 
So it's not something you started doing at the end of your degree. You were involved in entrepreneurship yeah. projects from, from the start. Yes. When I came back from my second undergrad, I actually, I said everything I haven't done in my first undergrad, I will do it this time. And one of them is to challenge myself, get out of my comfort zone, do things. And I always wanted to solve problems and do things. I just never knew how to do it or like the methodology behind it. So I remember seeing a class that says technology entrepreneurship. And I did not even know what entrepreneurship meant at that time. I'm like, oh, is that when they do businesses? I'm like, oh, let me sign up. And little I knew that that class just like changed my path and everything I wanted in life. It just helped me, I guess, build a strong foundation of understanding everything in entrepreneurship. And then I took it from there and did all the mm -hmm. other stuff that I have been doing and involved in. I'm kind of curious to know how, what is still left from your chemical engineering background or training that you use today? How about you, Heather? Is there still, do you still see yourself as a chemical engineer or you really see yourself as a, a, a finance or a fintech person today? I ad identify myself with, uh, as an engineer first, and we talked about it very briefly before we started, but the engineering taught me problem solving and how to learn to learn, but also how, how to have the confidence to learn that there's anything. When I went to eBay, I really didn't know anything about software development or site operations or servers or operating systems. And at that time, there wasn't all the resources there are now. So you get a stack of books and you, you get, you, you just get going and, and you have the, yeah, the confidence, hopefully, of the, of the people that you're you're working with. So I think that for me, and and I, my dad was a big influence in my life. He is uh, he's a mechanical engineer, and I at first I thought I wanted to go into medicine, and he said, well, you know, you should consider engineering. It's a good career. It's been a really wonderful path for him, and very rewarding. And and he said, at least then you'll be able to get a job if you decide you don't want to go to school for an extended period of time into, into medicine. So, yeah, so I think that the, uh, the really the problem solving and uh, teaching yourself to, to learn and problem solve and, uh, you know, and having that, the confidence to, to do that over time, over your whole career in life. Are you surrounded by people who are more from the finance side uh, in in your in your work, or do you have a wide variety of people surrounding you? It's it's really about half and half, and okay. it's uh, it, it, and the half that's the more finance people are my business partners, and then the half that is more technology is really all of my technology teams. And it is interesting to see you see now, especially since we do have a shortage of technology professionals, there are a lot of people who've taught themselves. Um, computer science, and so certainly some of the people I work with are self-taught, but many of them are computer science engineering graduates as well within technology. And it is a bit different working at uh, what I'll call a fintech company evolving into a product technology company than working at eBay or PayPal because the people I worked with at eBay had, had kind of grown up in technology, mm. whereas a lot of the finance people are finance people that are now becoming more product people. And, and so it is a totally different um, kind of experience and we have a, a cultural and, and really learning path run as an organization, but it presents interesting and new challenges from working, you know, in a more pure product mm -hmm. company where everybody is more, I guess, foundationally grounded mm -hmm. in technology. Okay. If I may, may ask questions to Heather. Um, so, you know, hearing Jack read your bio, you have, you know, been involved in leadership position in different places and fields. Uh, do you think your education had played a role in you being able to hold that 
I guess, leadership position? Or did you have to look elsewhere to build that skills? I, yeah, I think that the, it is, uh, you know, some of the, again, problem solving and feeling like there's a, there's no problem. And some of this, I guess, is personality, but it's definitely combined with experiences where I never feel like there's a problem we can't solve. We have to kind of, I'm very goal oriented and disciplined. So you have to break things down into individual goals that you kind of work towards and, and orient yourself and your team towards every single every single day and and take steps and and you will you know make progress and and get to where you're going and that goes for things you know pursuits outside of pure i guess professional pursuits so i think that the and then i guess good mentors and just wanting to develop people and work with teams and there's not one specific profile for that but i think that a lot of what i deal with day to day are you know people challenges opportunities problems um, you know, teams that aren't well aligned or once you get to a kind of a critical mass of, so you have to be willing to, or happy and energized by spending time both with the development and with the, the problems that come with working with, working with teams and, and leading and aligning teams. I have to second the whole having a good mentors because although my journey is not as, as impressive as yours or not as, as you know, diverse as yours yet, uh, but I believe having the right mentors are definitely a good way to help you kind of ex get exposed to different experiences and build the new skills and even to challenge you sometimes to think outside the box if you find yourself suddenly trapped in a box to some extent. And, and Midia, have you had, do you identify mentors along your yep. also impressive path? So, so one of my professor in technology entrepreneurship class, Dr. Hanan Anis, she has been my mentor over the past many years and now my employer to some extent. Uh, but she has definitely played a good role in helping me both um, entrepreneurship is challenging, but also social entrepreneurship adds an, an extra layer of challenges all the time. And sometimes being a woman in technology entrepreneurship, but for social good, just adds so many layers of complexity. So she definitely helped me, um, you know, build contacts, build different skills, and sometimes just be someone that can bounce ideas and get, you know, good feedback from. Sometimes people want to give you what you want to hear, but not mm -hmm. what they actually believe. Um, and I have, you know, build lots of group networks and, and mentors throughout the city and locally and globally who have been a tremendous support in everything I have been doing, whether it is through school or outside the school as well. Now, I have a question for you that comes from a lunch we had nearly 10 days ago with uh, five uh, upper middle and upper management people out in Canada who are all women because we were discussing how do we improve our recruitment of young women in engineering. Faculty of Engineering actually has done... Not that bad. We've gone from about 410 uh, women students about less than 10 years ago, and we're at 920. So we've had a huge growth. But the thing is, our faculty's grown a lot. So we've maintained the same percentage. So we're a little bit preoccupied by that. But I was just curious because we talked about mentors. And is it important whether the mentors are actually women or men, or does it make a difference, or do you need both, or do you have any idea about that? So... To me, in my experience, honestly, having mentors from both genders is good and, and uh, you know, strong. Sometimes if there's an issue that woman is facing and she feels that, you know, having an, an, an issue because you're a woman, you're facing that challenges and kind of bouncing ideas of 
a female mentor might be beneficial by my experience having different you know diverse mentors different background gender experiences in life will give you the best advantage mm. uh, but definitely having any mentors is helpful mm. yes i i agree and you you re- get different things from different mentoring relationships and you don't necessarily pick your mentors. Uh, one of my mentors is Brad Peterson, who is the head of all of technology at NASDAQ and is, is um, my current manager. And I've worked with him for over 10 years now. And so it's it reminded me a little bit of uh, an excerpt, I think, from Cheryl Sandberg's Lean In, in that she talks about a mentor where you, you you can certainly talk to someone and say, do they have the time and, and be more formal about a mentoring relationship? And that, that can work really well. But sometimes mentoring relationships just evolve. And I like to think that I support and do as much to make Brad successful as he does for me. And so I think, you know, mentoring relationships, when they can kind of have that, um, you know, truly like team and reciprocal aspect, perhaps like Hannah is, are uh, very, um, you know, sometimes the best and the longest lasting, certainly in my experience. And the other, the other thing I would say is the, uh, and from what I've come across and read and then talking to um, young women as they're making their technology journeys and, and, or just, and their um, decisions about their futures, I do think having more of the female mentors at a younger age and kind of in that process of thinking through the possibilities is perhaps more important um, than So you see it evolving over time and over the course of the career also. Yeah. I think when, like I personally did not face that challenge because I come from a family that supports you and your decision regardless of your gender, but if you are someone who is not exposed to this field, Mm -hmm. if you don't see yourself reflected in any position or anything you want to be, then Mm. chances are you're not going to pursue that path. Exactly. Uh, That's why having, you know, women mentor at the younger age or, you know, early stages in career is definitely beneficial. And something Heather just said kind of sparked a memory in my brain. Uh, when I had to go through mentorship training and women uh, startup network at the university, that's the number one rule they told us about is that even if you're a mentor or a mentee, you actually get something out of that relationship and you always support your own you know, mentors to some extent, mm-hmm. uh, whether they get, kind of get a different mindset, get exposed to different experiences and... Uh, I have mentored some of the younger students who are still, you know, grade seven, from five to seven. And I learned so much from them, not only just the, um, you know, the language that they speak nowadays, which is evolving in a different way, but also (laughs) um, so many ideas, so many suggestions. They they would read an article, they would share it with me. So I learned so much from them. And although they're a lot younger than me at this stage and and they're still, you know, grade five, but what they Mm -hmm. actually bring to the table as well is is definitely Mm -hmm. eye-opening. Would you have done anything differently uh, knowing what you know today in terms of your career path? Uh, is there a way to to optimize it or is that sequence of, um, as you were describing it earlier, that, that it's not a single moment when you make a, a, a decision but a series of accumulation of different events, but can you control that? Would you have made done anything different? Uh, I probably maybe wish I would have done something more towards computer science purely or computer science, computer engineering and or math and physics. You were speaking a bit about you know, math and physics before we started. And mm-hmm. I just, uh, uh, but, but of course that's, um, you know, kind of hindsight and looking at how, where trends in technology are going now. And I was similar to Midian that, um, I felt like I was a bit of a rebel because both my dad and my sister are mechanical engineers and I really liked chemistry. And I, so I thought, oh, this is good. So I think with the information I had at the time, 
I made about as good a decision as I could. And really the only programming I happened to take at the time was Fortran and it you know, made me want to pull my hair out. But I, uh, but yeah, I think that now if I was doing it again, I would uh, do something that would be more in a combination or bring in more of those dimensions of math, physics, and computer science. I have a question that I like to ask people who have a unconventional career path to some extent. Knowing what you know now and all the experiences you have gone through them, if there's a magical device that can take you back in time, what would you tell yourself in 93 when you graduated? What advice will you give yourself? Wow, I think I, you know, I should, I would answer that by looking at uh, my my nieces who are, are both uh, in STEM or looking at STEM and, you know, just uh, that they should have those dimensions of understanding, even if you don't do any programming and programming changes and becomes, you know, kind of higher and higher and uh, in the stack and in, in that um, really anybody can take pieces together today and, and create some sort of great application experience, but you should expose yourself to to those principles. You have to know how to build things. And same thing for data science, which I'd say is, you know, obviously a kind of offshoot or just another dimension. That'll be part, I think, of any STEM job and really, you know, any job. You, you Even all my partners um, who have different levels, as I said, of technology exposure and perhaps less so than the pure technology companies, we would all benefit as humans and as a company if people had a, a, a foundation, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. in these principles. Because we're going into that starting next year, I think, where we have a data science program jointly with mm. the Faculty of Science. But we're still thinking of how how do we expose uh, uh, students across all the fields of engineering mm-hmm. to that because it's a transform, transformative type of knowledge that we're going to have. Mm-hmm. And, and they're either developing the sensors that will collect the data or they'll be analyzing them. Mm-hmm. Or as you were, as you both are examples, your career can take off in all kinds of different directions afterwards. So mm-hmm. that basic knowledge can be very helpful. Yeah. And um, what's the best part so far? Is it what you're doing now? Or are there other parts? Or, or, or I shouldn't put it that way. What's the best part? Is it what you're doing now or it's what you're going to be doing next? I guess I like to live in the now, but I'm certainly a planner. So I think that one of the favorite, most favorite dimensions of of what I do now is really learning, just the continuing the learning journey and especially learning new technology and how we can apply it to uh, NASDAQ and and just the evolution of financial markets and then unleashing markets, you know, more broadly and, and hopefully that being a force and opportunity for social change to some degree. I am in such admiration of Midi and what she has done, um, you know, from a socialist perspective there and, and kind of wanting to do more in that realm, um, you know, with with my background and foundation, especially as it relates to to women in technology, which I feel very passionate about. But for me, learning, you know, learning new technologies and then working with teams that really push me to learn. And I do like learning new businesses. I, I mean, I've stayed kind of in fintech based on my more recent uh, evolution over the last 10 years, but I would, I'd love to learn completely, you know, new industries mm. and just, you know, outside of my, uh, outside of work, I just like to learn new things. And I'm always kind of trying something new and seeing, you know, whether it's like learning the banjo or, you know, uh, learning how to knit or doing sports or you know, just, I like to push myself to learn in your, it's always, it's sometimes surprising where that leads you 
which comes back to, I guess, the overall journey so far. I taught myself how to knit two summers ago <laughs> because I'm just not good with any craft. And I was like, you know what? That's a challenge. Let me do it. <laughs> and I know how to knit now. And I just make, you know, winter scarves for all my friends. <laughs> so I met lots of wonderful alumni from the Faculty of Engineering, and all of them had the same message in common, which is keep learning, expose yourself to different experiences, and build your network and mentors all the time. Um, now, I guess if you were to kind of give back to the younger generation, give them an advice, um, recent alumni like myself, um, who want to explore different paths in life and want to build, I mean, for example, I love social entrepreneurship. I love what I have done. But at the same time, I have to think of ways where I can actually build more impact on on a higher leadership position, for example. So what do you think are some of good resources or, or kind of initiative that young alumni should be involved in locally or globally? Yeah, I think it depends so much on their passion. But I think getting involved, as you said, with your community and causes that you care about you know, outside of, you know, not, it's especially when I went to eBay, you're kind of like, sleeping under your desk with your sleeping bag and you can be there's times in your life where you have to be really focused on something intense but but trying to be uh you know somewhat well well-rounded I think just being adaptable and taking on the jobs that nobody else wants to do uh or is volunteering to do has always worked well for me I'd say at work and and outside of work and it comes back to like expanding your network and um, and just being, you know, a, a team player and, and pushing yourself. Um, and I, for me, I've, I went, if I get to a point where I feel stifled or I'm not learning at the same rate, then is it time to, to move to something different and being really deliberate about that? And then just setting your goals. I got good advice um, somewhere early on in my career that as I was talking to a mentor about where to go next from a uh, and, uh, the perspective of um, next moves at eBay, and they they pushed me to say write down your goals, your uh, professional goals, your personal goals, your family goals, um, financial for the next two to five years, and then come back and talk to me about you know. So I, I use different variations of that as I talk to team members, especially earlier team members who may have you know even more opportunities mm -hmm. and and time. And to have a you know a more meaningful discussion and just be deliberate because mm -hmm. it can be really easy to just sort of go on a path that's more about momentum than. How do you say? Yeah, but 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 first answer, um, in the sense that talk about. I'll start again. Okay. Mm -hmm. Can you? How do you see things, media? I mean that 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 concept of yep. not just seizing the opportunity but setting objective and going down the path. How how do you live that? I think I I made a decision when I went back to school again is I wanted to have really strong academic and technical background in life but also build different experiences so in, in my school we had to take few courses in coding mm. but then they gave you the basic thing to basically pass your degree but then I went on my own and I took you know programs outside campus and I, I, I know how to code now so I can feel confident in getting the, the base of what the university gave me, then I kind of expand and grow in it on my own kind of terms and what I, I view that will be helpful in my life. But I think um, because I am, I'm kind of, you know, young, according to the United Nations still, um, <laughs> I feel like I get exposed and see many societal issues that did not surface before now. And my generation might be the last one to solve some of these issues with the environmental issue, the global refugee crisis, the whole climate mm -hmm. refugee issues. And I feel that 
leveraging all that knowledge and technology and knowing that I, I can make an impact and I have done it on mm-hmm. a small scale and it worked and I'm expanding globally. Um, so I feel that I don't think I will ever go work in a chemical plant. Maybe I will. I don't know yet. But I do know that knowledge and that kind of experiences and the programs and the skills that I got from school is why I can apply to anything I want in life. So when people tell me like, oh, why did you go to health science and biochemistry and now you're in, in chemical engineering? What would you do in your life? And I tell them, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But if I see a problem, I'm going to solve it because mm-hmm. I have, I'm equipped with enough knowledge and skills that I can solve any problem. But you are talking as though you want to scale up the type yeah. of problems that you're looking at. Yeah. So what you're doing now, you're having a real, very real impact, but you're looking down the road to some mm-hmm. very major challenges and trying to scale yeah. up your ability to, to solve yeah. them. I'm, I'm very passionate about, I guess, technology inclusion and having kind of solving problem using technology. So I like to call it technology for social good, which is a term I invented. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel that some, you know, the fact I have been involved on the ground doing so many things with its refugee camps or amputation, and we just expanded to even Casablanca with amputation for kids and and I got to expose to all these different issues. And now I think of how can, knowing what I knew and how things done on the ground, if I move into, you know, running a foundation or organization or something from a leadership position, then I can definitely expand and, and grow the, the impact I do. Because I get almost every day an email of someone who wants, you know, my organization to help and support them but then we've just few we just mm-hmm, one mm-hmm. but if you kind mm-hmm. of can scale it up then you can basically expand the impact so that's what i hope to but i do know if, to get to that level in my life i will have to build stronger leadership position better management human resources and even partnership with a global organization so I, I do know what i need to do and what skills i need to be in that position i don't know what that position is yet but i know what i need to do to get to that position in my okay. life um uh- I actually have one more question for Heather. Okay, go ahead. Um, because you're also a woman in tech and then you're involved in different initiatives. Have you ever faced any challenges that you felt because you're a woman, you have faced them? I mean, I hear about all these issues that women in tech and leadership mm-hmm. position face. I personally have not faced any major issues yet in my life. Uh, but it seems mm-hmm. like, did we improve since you mm-hmm. graduated? Or, or did <laughs> things change? Should I look for a brighter future? Should I you know, tackle that issue from now. I'm an optimist, so I think definitely. It's, um, I guess, in many situations, I'm, you know, the only female in the room. I certainly don't dwell on it. Occasionally, I I do uh, notice it. I think that having more discussions about the value of diversity is, to me, encouraging. It's that old saying of knowing the problem is half the problem, and not just because it's the right thing to do, but because it, and, and not just because it re- better reflects your customer base, but, uh, you know, it, it is um, just cognitive differentiation and different experiences is really the number one correlated factor among teams in driving innovation. And I think that most of the data supports that innovation, not just across gender, but you can drive somewhere between 15 and 40% higher business growth. So it's good for the economy, it's good for business, and uh, and so I think that you know having those discussions and companies being much more deliberate about it and what's fair and what's right is um, is is progress in itself. And I think that the other thing that I've come across some interesting literature around, and I think experienced myself, is 
you want to be really careful with generalizations, but women do bring different things and not all, not all women or not all men are alike, but the just, um, focus on what you bring as a person, as a human, as a leader. And it's, uh, you know, and it's, it can be, um, I guess just, uh, focus on the the strengths there because I do think again a caveating around generalizations women often do better at communication and relationships and so I think that and and they are more successful generally as leaders if they are themselves and I think you again you could say that about anyone but if people try to say oh I need to be more pushy and aggressive if if that's what more men are and they're more successful. I don't think that's true. Mm -hmm. But you have to stand up for yourself. Mm -hmm. You have to negotiate for yourself. You have to know what you're worth. Um, you have to have self-assurance, which is different than confidence because you can be confident that you'll fail. Um, but, you know, being being yourself and focusing on what you can, you can bring uniquely to any situation. I, I like what you said about mentoring. Um, and... Uh... And that I had not seen that bilateral, uh, don't know what to call it, but the win-win mentoring relationship. Like, I haven't taken a, a course on mentoring or haven't been exposed to the, to the knowledge on that, but I, I had not seen that. I hadn't realized it, but you're right. And, and it does make, it's a relationship, so it needs mm -hmm. to be, uh, go both ways. And like some, some mentorship might be more formal in which you teach someone formally and you kind of schedule a meeting. It sometimes could be more natural. So like in case of Hanan, it's not really a formal thing. Like I mm -hmm. never be like, hey, but she knows that she's my mentor. She knows that I, I can, you know. Yeah. And whenever sometimes she, like I, for example, now has been building my skills in creative design and like graphic design because I was like, why not? So now whenever she has any question about marketing, she come and talk mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I could add a little bit of like benefit to her life, make her life slightly easier somehow. Yeah. While she would help me a lot, I definitely took a lot more from Hananda I have given, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's definitely win-win for both. And it's, it's not just about you giving someone something, but rather the hearing them. And then just being able to, when we had to do that training, we had to do a personality testing and find out our own personality, negotiation skill, talking skill. Mm -hmm. And then I was able to learn from interacting with people and with these men, you know, mentees to some extent, how to improve my own communication skills so I could match anyone. Mm -hmm. And now I became very kind of aware of this skill. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So whenever I'm in a big meeting and sometimes I go to a place where I'm the only, not only the only woman, but the only young person in the mm -hmm. room. And then, you know, I'm an, an immigrant, a woman of color. There's so many layers. And look at me like, oh, what does she know about life? Mm. That's the first kind of impression mm. I get. So I can read the room easily. I can see the personalities. Mm. I can see what's going on. And it could kind of shift and pivot the way I, I speak mm -hmm. about stuff. So it's definitely a skill that I have got because I became a mentor. Mm -hmm. If I did not, then okay. I would not have been mm -hmm. exposed to that skill. Yeah. But it's fun in a makerspace. We actually have high school kids that are yeah. there. And we have all kinds of people mm -hmm. showing up. So it does give all of you a chance to mm -hmm. develop those mentoring skills, even mm -hmm. yeah. your your recent alumni, yeah. or even as your undergraduate students, you're exposed to that. Of course, yeah. Yeah. I just so convinced my sister to actually do her co-op at the Makerspace. I'm like, yes. Oh, so yeah. you, because you convinced her to yeah. come to chemical engineering. Um, she wanted to do software and electrical, yes. and, and, and she wanted to do chemical. I think she wanted to do chemical because I'm in chemical, yeah. and she wanted to have something similar to what I do. She liked mm. to build an impact and disruption. 
But I was like, oh, chemical might be good. But if okay. you go to electrical software, you okay. might be yeah. a lot of so like hands-on. She's, she's going into that. that. Yeah, okay. she, she just great. applied. She's great. Well, she just applied to both software and electrical okay. and Wonderful. mechanical as a backup, I think. Okay. Um, but she was saying... You mean your chemical isn't even a backup for me anymore? <laughs> no, no. I was like, go to mechanical as backup. She yeah. absolutely... She had a chemistry exam last night and I have to teach her and Okay. She was not having fun. I was like, yeah, don't do okay. Um <laughs> But she's going to the great. makerspace also. Yeah, she, she's finishing her high school now, so she have next semester off. And I was like, do you want to be one of our co-op students? Yeah. And she was like, can I? I'm yeah. like, why not? <laughs> that's the bit that's surprising. When I walk into the makerspace and I go there all the time, it's really, when you spend your day doing paperwork, it's really nice to be able to go walk in and see all the students yes. in the makerspace. <laughs> And you can't, if I didn't know them, I couldn't tell the difference between the, the high school, the high school uh, yeah. students and the regular university students. It's a real team mm -hmm. effort that's going on in there. Yeah. And um, the other, so we have two high school students and a girl and mm -hmm. a guy. Last year we had another two. And uh, they're both the same age and they, you know, they got trained and now they're building, working together on building a robot that's kind of a mascot for, for the makerspace. And... Um, to see them, you know, grow and change and start to talk. And now they know, like, they take lead mm. on the makerspace. The other day, one of the staff was running late, you know, with his commute. So the high school is like, media, I got this. You go ahead. Go home. That's and great. he, like, yeah. took over and he was telling everyone what to do. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And um, they know subconsciously is that that's also a way that they feel part of the community. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. So now when I asked the girl, would you go to Carlton? Would you come here? And she was like... Most likely here because now I know what's going on. I know mm -hmm. everyone. And if I want to work thing. here as a... She's as built a, a relationship. Exactly. Mm -hmm. She knows how so it works. So yeah. they feel part of a community. So cool. I'm happy that although we had 45 members in our team, but she feel part of the community. Family. She was not overwhelmed yeah. with the numbers. So yeah. really Perfect. happy to see all that growth and everything else. That was our podcast for today. Thanks again to Heather and Midia for joining me. I really enjoyed how we discussed different types of mentorship and how, despite pursuing fairly focused university studies, life can take you in unexpected but really exciting directions. If you would like to know more about Heather and Midia, I invite you to consult their bios on our webpage, engineering.uottawa.ca slash podcasts. Next episode, I'll connect with Mathieu Gamache-Asselin, a class of 2012 alumnus who is the co-founder and CEO of Alto Pharmacy, a fast-growing San Francisco-based tech company, and Olivier Miguel, an alumnus of 2016, currently pursuing his Master's in Biomedical Engineering at UOttawa with the Clinical Biomechanics Research Unit. We'll be discussing how impactful technology and entrepreneurship can help make the future in the healthcare sector. Before we finish, I'd like to thank you, the listeners, for joining us for today's discussion. If you have comments or questions, please email us at genie.engineering at uottawa.ca. That's G-E-N-I-E dot engineering at uottawa.ca. Or visit us at our faculty webpage, engineering.uottawa.ca. I also want to thank everyone who contributed to the writing, production, and editing of this podcast, including Francis Bertrand Lafrenière, Valérie Sanson, and Carl Borns. Salut à tous. See you next time. To own the future, we need to do more than just see it. We need to make it.